We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. You know, Matt, I think we're going to have to get a new introduction because uh, next week from now, new president. Yeah, new administration. I've been telling you that for a while. It's like nobody yeah. knows who Rex Tillerson is anymore. <laughs> That's true. We should do one final hoorah where if anyone can name all the people who say stuff during an introduction, I don't know, we uh, uh, give you a, a button or something. I don't even know if we're allowed to give out things on we don't have any money so right we're all volunteers here nobody wants to call in so it's not like we can like offer you a chance to call in or something like that so right we're also pre-recorded um well yeah i mean you didn't have to tell them that but yeah well i mean hey if if anyone wants to guess who all those uh all those folks are in our introduction what a great way to pass an afternoon because i certainly don't know what else i do with my life i basically Uh, just give wegmans a hundred dollars every day um because i just rex tillerson john oliver and emperor palpatine what do i want <laughs> emperor palpatine is in there two times actually um so yeah that that's up there well that that's our hint to you rex tillerson and emperor palpatine's in there folks you're tuned into evidence of design i'm 100.9 fm wxir in rochester i'm your host jason taylor joined also by my good friend and co-host matt treadwell Yo. We are pre-recorded today because COVID-19 is still really bad out there. Uh, it's actually worse than it's ever been. It's funny saying that after more than a year. Because <laughs> what do we do on this show? We critique income and wealth inequality because there's too much economic inequality out there. And that economic inequality isn't just morally unfair. It's not like, oh, this person has more money because they're a better person than you. Obviously, that's not a good way to think about a human being or living in the society together, but it also manifests viscerally, grotesquely, and very uh, really for many people, whether it comes to housing or race or gender or putting food on the table or a roof over your head, economic inequality matters. We think there should be less of it, and we think our governments and we can do things to reduce it. That's what we do here on Evidence of Design. Thanks for joining us. We're looking at an administration that's going out. Trump was impeached for the second time this week. The, the only president to have the esteemed, um, you know, historical achievement of being impeached twice. In, the only president so far. Right. Uh, I, I'm fully in support of us trying to get a few more impeachments of Trump in there in the next week. You know, I mean, by the time the show airs, it's, it's recorded on Thursday, January 14th, airing 1st, January 16th. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure we can scrape up a few ideas of how to impeach Trump more often. You know, there was that time that he tried to shut down the government to build a border wall. Uh, there was that time he was I'm putting still kids mad. in. <laughs> That's like the yeah. worst he's ever done, in my opinion. <laughs> Dude, we, we covered that for like. 
May, besides four COVID. shows in a row. it was like an entire month of us just like our voices getting sadder and sadder every week whereas <laughs> like this many people aren't getting paid right now you know <laughs> because trump wants to build a medieval wall <laughs> yeah uh, you know maybe that's something that we could look into maybe that time he like put kids in cages um you know that would be all right uh maybe the time that he <laughs> did extra you know he did uh, assassinating uh, Iranian generals that was that was interesting um, how about the times that he like didn't pay taxes for um, you know 20 years I don't know man <laughs> I just I'm just right. having fun with this but hey what are we talking about today <clears throat> three different things one we're talking about Trump's social media ban so following last week's riots at the Capitol and storming of the Capitol by tro- Trump supporters Twitter and Facebook, among others, made what I thought was quite a surprising decision to remove Trump from their platforms. At real Donald Trump is no more. Wow, that is the biggest change in my life. No longer can I look up Trump, Trump tweets. I, I don't know why I'm, I don't sound happier about that. But um, Trump's banned from Twitter and Facebook. Big deal. Was that or was that not the right decision? We're going to talk about that. That has profound implications for all of us in the society. The power for big tech, for private corporations to potentially silence uh, people's speech is important. And also the power of big tech and how we use big tech too. You know, how, how we choose to behave online in our own sort of uh, solitude and safety of our bedrooms or wherever we're posting, that matters. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how President-elect Joe Biden, as of today and at the day of recording, released his $1.9 trillion economic stimulus plan. Of course, Congress recently passed their latest round of economic, economic stimulus in regards to the COVID-19 crisis and economic crisis. It included something to the effect of $600 checks to most Americans, and most importantly for most Americans, expanded unemployment benefits. Democrats and uh, Joe Biden in particular called that a down payment on further economic stimulus. I'm fully in support of more government stimulus. I think the more the government gets involved to help people out, the better in general. And so uh, this you know, $1.9 trillion economic stimulus will include some $400 billion to combat uh, COVID-19, such as by expanding testing uh, and and, um, contact tracing and rebuilding the nation's public health infrastructure. It also potentially includes $1,400 direct payments to families and more generous unemployment benefits and a push to uh, set the federal minimum wage at $15 an hour. Those all sound like good things to me. And lastly, We're going to talk about a story that might be less in the headlines this week, but this is a uh, California grocery chain called Albertsons. They're going to, well, they've planned to lay off some of their workers and replace them with gig workers like from DoorDash so that uh, these gig workers can deliver food for them. So instead of having sort of, you know, long-term, full-time, or at least part-time employees with benefits, they're going to replace them with contract workers in California who don't have those benefits to make the deliveries for them. This is an effort to reduce labor costs and comes about as a result of California's prop, uh, was it 52? 22. Uh, 
20 prop 22 uh something we covered in 2019 i think it was now matt uh where uh, essentially california no, it was voted, last year it was just last year 2020 just passed. yeah yeah. yeah, where California voters essentially uh, sided with Silicon Valley and big tech companies to not count uh, gig workers as employees and to instead count them as contract workers. This is something that big tech and Silicon Valley had lobbied hard for because it essentially makes their market uh, and business, pla- uh, business plans work by essentially reducing labor costs. So we got three things to talk about, plenty to get into on evidence of design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. Matt, why don't we go ahead and start with Trump's social media ban? Okay. I, I, you know, there's, there's multiple ways to phrase this. I think perhaps the best one is simply to go with the black or white question and then of course we'll expand it out from there to reflect the fact that reality is often in shades of gray and not just two shades black or white to start with that though matt do you think it was good or bad right or wrong for say twitter or facebook to ban donald trump off of their platforms uh well i want to start by giving the easiest answer to this question which is that you know a lot of debate has been centered around whether or not Trump should have been banned because of reasons like is this uh, obviously uh, Trump has a history of of inciting violence of uh, of um, being an apologist for uh, hate groups and and racist organizations Um, and that sort of thing is not something that we want to encourage in our society at the same time, the, the sort of uh, uh, argument against banning him has been like, well, this, is a, this could be an overreach of corporate power or a portend of what, is, what might be coming as uh, corporations uh, continue to grow and monopolize the, the internet and make it just less and less uh, a place of free expression. And to all this, I'd say that the simplest answer is that, you know, worrying about Trump's tweets would never have been a problem if Trump had never been president to begin with. And the only reason why, in my opinion, Trump was even able to become president is because we have a political system that, you, you know, you could argue whether or not it's designed to the uh, uh, intentionally, but it is by design. Uh, it disenfranchises people on both a political and economic level, and so which are, I mean, if you're if you're coming at it from like a Marxist standpoint, that's the same thing. But you know, not everybody no, not everybody takes that viewpoint. But what I'm saying is, if we had a political system that actually encouraged people to vote by and and be involved and engaged in politics by having a political party or more than one political party even in the United States that actually served the people's interests, actually took care of them, actually made sure that everybody in this country had access to education, access to healthcare, not affordable healthcare, just access to healthcare, access to housing, to clothing, to food, to water, to the basic necessities of life, then I don't think that um, 
reactionary politics can take hold in a society like that. And you don't have Donald Trump becoming president in that, in that, uh, uh, in that version of history that we are not living in, unfortunately. Matt, let me ask you again. Do you agree or disagree with Twitter or Facebook for banning Trump on their platforms? No, I'm just messing with you. Great. So good answer. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're highlighting a lot of the nuance to this, I I guess, you know, do do you, for the record, do you want to commit to sort of a yes or no, good or bad or. or Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be like, uh, I realize that I just sort of like punted and I'm not going to be, um, I think, well, I know I texted you when I first heard about it. That was like, I felt like I've graduated when, (laughs) When Twitter, when Twitter banned Trump permanently, because I was like, oh, man, I was kind of sad about it. Not in the sense that, um, you know, obviously Donald Trump's a terrible person and everything he stands for is just about everything he does is horrible. And like he's very unique in that way and that there's almost nothing about him that is uh, redeeming. Yeah. I mean, he's funny. He can be very funny. Yeah. He's um, entertaining. That's his best. Yeah. Thing. And, you know, that's his career is entertainment. And so, like, from that standpoint, standpoint, I mean, he he's had some really funny tweets over the years, and I'm not on Twitter, and I was kind, of, and so it's it's no real loss for me. But I, I have gotten you know a good laugh out of some of his tweets over the years. Um, yeah, and that's where politics I is gone, right? Is yeah, he's entertaining, right. so good enough for me, right? <laughs> I mean, that's all that's all that we have. We don't have like can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's this, th- that, that vehicle for entertainment is no longer in my life. I'm sad about that. Yeah, right? hey, yeah. that's, that's, that's how I feel. That's, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, you know, cheeky and backing away from the, the black or white argument, uh, you know, talking to the, the more shades of gray and, and what you brought up earlier about how it's not just about, you know, right or wrong. It's like, wow, what a pickle that we're in to even have to have a, a sitting U S president banned off of a mass media platform because of inflammatory divisive rhetoric that incites violence. Like, Hmm, what a sad situation, you know? And so I'm sort of frustrated by the debate of like, you know, Twitter, good or bad, when it's like, obviously the context matters much more of how we got here. And Matt, you're totally right that if we actually had a, a politics where people were um, incentivized to vote, where it was easier to vote, where they weren't lied to by um, you know politicians that have been essentially paid off or in cahoots with corporations, then we wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. You know, the, the way I look at it and critique is that um, I think that Donald Trump has, on a societal definition, lost his privilege to wield the platform and microphone that he has, right? Because li- literally, in one sense, he's lost that privilege because he lost an election. He lost the election, which loses him officially that privilege to have that bully pulpit of the presidency. You know, the issue, though, is that Donald Trump whether he actually believes this or not, says that he doesn't believe he lost the election. And clearly, many of Donald Trump's supporters are willing to resort to armed violence, if not just rhetoric, off on platforms such as Twitter and Facebook through the spread of mis- or disinformation to say 
that Donald Trump didn't lose the election that he lost, which officially, societally, uh, you know, politically speaking, causes Donald Trump to lose his power, which I think he also should lose out of like a moral societal standing. <laughs> so it was a complicated wordy answer to say that I am more than happy for Donald Trump to lose his access to Twitter and Facebook. Not only because, um, you know, voters have voted him out. Of course, it doesn't mean that every president who, you know, loses election doesn't get a Twitter. I'm not saying that, obviously. Uh, what I am trying to say is that the context matters and that when you have a sitting president who, uh, you know, I, we can still find Trump's tweets online. They're recorded. I met plenty of websites. When you look through his tweets, um, you know, the vast majority <clears throat> of his tweets are disinformation, lies, bullying. And therefore, that's not okay. And you could yeah. argue in this society and under free speech that, well, it's free speech, man. You know, the way that we as a society get to regulate speech is by having the, the righteous outweigh with facts and reason and morals, the unrighteous. That doesn't work anymore, man. <laughs> you know? I, that never worked. That, That's right. never worked. Yeah. We need gatekeepers. In, in a society of 330 million people and in a planet of 7.5 billion people where the internet exists and we can all communicate with a click of a button anonymously, um, you know, and, and such like that. We need gatekeepers. Do I want Jack Dorsey to be my gatekeeper? Do I want Twitter to be my gatekeeper? No. I would love it if rational human beings as an American citizens were my gatekeeper. But clearly we're not doing a good job at that when you have so many Trump supporters and people who voted for Trump. When you have, uh, you know, 10 sitting Republican senators and 139 sitting Republican House representative members who voted not to recognize the results of this free and fair U.S. election, effectively asserting authoritarian control and abolishing American democracy. That's effectively what it was. That was the real coup. And so when you have that happening in the U.S., you know. I don't know who my gatekeeper is. If it's, it's if it got to be Jack Dorsey here, sure. But <laughs> I, it's certainly a slippery slope. And I hope this isn't our long-term solution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack Dorsey's a pretty handsome guy, but I don't know that it, that makes him qualified for um, being the, the, the sole divine being to decide what is and what isn't allowed in the public sphere. I do want to say um, to your point of, you know, Trump sort of losing his platform because he's no longer the, or he's no longer, he lost an election and he won't be the president in a week's time. Um, you know, my, my only real exposure that I can think of to Donald Trump before he announced his bid for the president's office in 2015 was the, the scene in home alone too where macaulay yes. called asked him where the like hotel lobby is or whatever it was i was just gonna say that and maybe like walking past his books and like barnes and noble or something but, um, but anybody who knew who like anybody who had come into contact with trump before probably if they like were operating with more than a few brain cells came to the conclusion that oh, this guy probably shouldn't be president and then like <laughs> his, his own his very own like announcement speech his campaign was absolutely disqualifying and and so, again, it's like, you know, if we had responsible gatekeepers in this country who didn't incite violence, who didn't uh, 
promote or or encourage conspiracy theories that have no basis in in actual facts um then this we wouldn't even be talking about this we would trump wouldn't even probably wouldn't even be president again but we not only do we we do we do have that we have like whole swaths of of media and organizations devoted to that and so like i'm not happy about twitter banning trump i don't think that again it doesn't feel it's not like a fix i am concerned that all this is happening um as is like we banned we banned trump from twitter two weeks before his he's going out of the office like great you know like all this is happening way past the fact of it really even being having any real effect on anything i mean sure trump would have retained those followers after leaving office but at the same time he's still not going to have the platform that the presidency affords him and and so all this is happening as his administration is going out while also there's been a major like um we talked about this uh weeks ago or months ago that the uh a new antitrust lawsuit has been filed against google and people are starting to think that we might actually like the, the federal government actually started ramping up with its antitrust um, uh, laws and and sort of enforcing them against monopolistic tech companies like Google and Twitter and Facebook and so on. And there is some concern. I know that some journalists and in, in the outlets like The Intercept have noted that this might be an attempt to curry favor with the incoming Biden administration and to get them to... Uh, uh, look more fondly upon them and their practices and not judge them so harshly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the horse is certainly out of the barn in regards to Trump and his followers. You know, a, a big reason why Trump probably won the election was his social media presence. Twitter is the the perfect metaphorical platform for someone like Trump because it, he's, he doesn't have to be long-winded, which would then hopefully show you how little he knows substantively about policy and things he can just like do the next memeiest thing or the next zinger as matt you and i were talking about he's quite entertaining you know i mean he's really good at at using twitter uh to uh, to you know have us understand the next mean thing or lie he wants to say about people and so i I don't know what right you as an individual have to use a platform to spread disinformation lies and bullying all over and over again i don't know what right you have you know like do you need to do that no Uh, should you do that no and and so i i don't know if i want to protect your right to use this platform to spread disinformation because certainly certainly um companies like you know twitter has caused us as a society to have an epistemic crisis and what i mean by that is we certainly have a hard time for whatever reason discerning truth from fiction and truth is never as you know uh simple as with being a golden statue on a shining hill of course it's always fraught with shades of gray but uh, we are certainly uh, facing crises with that right now and the social media companies are certainly uh, culpable with that and we've seen a slow change over the years of you know twitter recently this year and facebook uh, tagging a lot of trump tweets and other other you know um other hey, when did they start doing that it was just last year right yeah just last year by saying mm, you know ch- this claim is uh subject maybe, maybe to not totally factual <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, so like, it's just, Mars like, is going to be crashing into the the Earth in a matter of three days. Right. Reports have, have concluded that this might be <laughs> totally as already eighty million Americans have seen it. You know. So, um, 
I think we'll end our discussion about Trump's social media ban there, Matt. I guess all I'd like to say is, you know, I'm happy he's off of those platforms. I don't think he deserves the reach and power and bully pulpit he has with them. Am I, am I like happy about Twitter's decision? Am I happy that we have to do this? No, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what, you know, like impeaching a president. It's a somber moment. It's sad. While I think Trump should be impeached, I'm sad it has to happen because it proves how, how messed up of, of a place we're in, right? So I'm sad that a sitting U.S. president has to have his, his social media account removed like he's a child, you know? But if you, if you behave like a mean child, then, then I, I, you know, I'm sad that we're there, so. Yeah, I just want to say one more thing about it, which was you sent me Jack Dorsey's Twitter post about this. Yeah, like 13 right thread tweet. His little thread that he posted on Twitter. And in it, he's, he talked about how, like, you know, uh if 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 somebody doesn't like our our business model then they can just go somewhere else and use a different media website I'm like oh yeah which one of the three would you go to it's just right. like it's the same thing that google said about you know people use google because they like our service not because we don't have competitors and it's like your name is literally a verb for using a search engine right how much more of a monopoly can you be absolutely lot more to talk about big tech, Matt. We'll, we'll pivot from here, though, and just remind you that you're tuned in to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. We're talking about several events of the past week. We just chatted about Trump's ban on social media from Twitter, Facebook, and a few other platforms. Now we're going to pivot to President-elect Joe Biden's recently announced $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package. In fact, we're recording this Thursday night, and Joe Biden is actually talking about this in a live nationwide address right now as of the recording. So I'm sure when the show airs on Saturday, there'll be a few more fleshed out details. But let's talk about what we know as of right now. So President Biden and his team uh, are proposing a $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package to combat COVID-19 and to hopefully revitalize the U.S. economy that has been so hurt by COVID-19, among other factors. Included in this package is $400 billion to directly combat the pandemic that includes accelerating vaccine deployment and expanding contact tracing. It also includes, this is a big deal for the first time in any federal stimulus so far for COVID-19, $350 billion for state and local governments. This is a huge deal because state and local governments, of course, have been hurt incredibly hard by the pandemic. There's been less tax revenue because, um, you know, there's less people working, less people spending. And also for various reasons, let's say state governments have to balance their budgets, unlike the federal government. So they have to cut things back and they have to, you know, lay off workers. And that further reduces the taxes that can be, uh, you know, made by the state or local government. So. It's the cycle and uh, without federal relief that governors and local leaders have been calling for, they said that uh, we're going to be in a really tough public, local public sector crunch for, um, you know, the years to come. We saw the Republicans try to uh, block any efforts to have state or local government aid because, um, well, I actually can't think of a rational reason why they'd want that to happen. They would probably cite something like, well, you uh, know, 
budgets. Low states versus low states. It's a figure it yeah. out. It's a red bailout of blue states, even though that's factually incorrect, and in that actually blue states tend to subsidize red states through uh, federal government taxes. So New York, for instance, is subsidizing, let's say, Mitch McConnell's home state as a red state in the South. That, that's a common misconception that is always cited that it's a it's a bailout for blue states that have spent money improperly no it's not true uh, money goes from blue states to red states and, and so um you know I, I just can't think of a rational reason why republicans wouldn't want to have uh, federal aid go to state and local governments but I, i'm glad to see that's included in biden's proposed economic stimulus so among 400 billion dollars going to combat covid 19 among 350 billion dollars in planned state and local government aid there also includes uh more efforts to help uh, most americans that includes a 1400 dollar direct payment so we had twelve hundred dollars through the cares act there was six hundred dollars like <laughs> through the most recent aid and now there's fourteen hundred dollars planned there's also an expansion of unemployment benefits federally mandated paid leave for workers and subsidies for child care costs there's also a push to uh expand the federal minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour matt that all sounds like good stuff to me a big fan of that, especially after uh, just the first week in 2021, over 1 million Americans filed for new unemployment claims. So we know that the harmful effects of COVID-19 in our economy are ongoing. In December 2020 alone, the American economy lost 140,000 jobs. And the, the pandemic will still be raging for several more months and economic shocks can take long times to sort of bleed out and can take long time to be stitched together. It's not necessarily like a light switch. So uh, the idea is that if you inject a large amount of money now and actually help people out, then we can have a quicker turnaround and less of a lengthy and harmful storm to weather together. Yeah, I mean, this is all... Uh, this is all coming at like we're being uh, hammered uh, continuously with with horrible news about COVID. Like the 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 nation wanted to have at least twenty million people inoculated with the vaccine by the end of December. I think we only got up to like seven million, so we're down. We're not hitting the rate of vaccination that we we want to be or even aiming to. In addition to that, our our Infection rate is higher than it's ever been, and this is all coming as news of a, a new strain of coronavirus is hitting England very hard, and it's already uh, in the U.S. and will probably be peaking. People are estimating sometime in March, and this new strain, while it doesn't seem to be any more deadlier than the, the uh, strain that came before it, it does seem to be um, uh, as much as twice as uh, contagious. And the, the sort of danger in that, and actually, is is that you know, even more even more dangerous than than being more deadly. You know, if you have a very extremely deadly disease, it actually becomes more difficult for it to be to be passed on to other people because it kills its host uh, relatively quickly. But with a, if it's just more contagious, then obviously more and more people are going to be infected, and you could have even more people die because of that. So. That's where we are. That's where we're, we're headed. 
and there'll be a, a bigger burden on the nation's hospitals and healthcare system, of course, if more people are sick. And that's that's the whole point of flattening the curve and trying to reduce the infection rate so that um, if people do get sick, they can be given adequate care. And if people aren't sick with COVID-19 but still need to go to the hospital for one of the million reasons one might need to, that they can get care too. So this is all good stuff. I love the idea of a large government stimulus. Uh, I, I can already hear the choir of Republicans saying that this is too much government spending and that Democrats are going to uh, just ramp up the government deficit. Because how is Joe Biden, to my knowledge so far, again, he's speaking about this as we're recording this episode, how has Joe Biden planned to pay for this $1.9 trillion economic stimulus? Uh, it's entirely through more federal borrowing, I believe. So more borrowing. Guess what? The Trump administration borrowed a ton of money too. The federal deficit has soared under the Trump administration for all of his calls to reduce it and yeah, for all of the Republicans' calls the to so-called be budget hawks. I'm sorry, Matt. They forgot about the deficit for a while there, but now they've remembered that they hate having it do the up. So. Republicans have this really remarkable medical condition called cyclical amnesia, and that's where any time that they're in power and in office, they forget about all the things they criticize Democrats about. It's really remarkable. Um, it, it's a it's a unique thing that just no, understudy. Have. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if we expanded our um, you know healthcare system, healthcare we could system. learn more about that. But hmm, who knows? So um, you know, I, I mean, one need only look at the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that Republicans were so willing to um, you know ingratiate themselves over that uh, is completely and utterly ballooning the nation's debt and uh, completely and utterly hamstringing the government's effort or ability at all to, uh, to fund itself through taxation. And so, you know, I, whenever a Republican will complain about budget deficits, I'm just going to imagine a, like a Muppet just talking over them, you know, like Kermit the Frog or something, just like, mah, 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 and that, that's all I'm going to picture because I, I don't want to give it the slightest um, inkling of my attention. I think you're thinking of the, the parents in Charlie Brown cartoons. Oh, that works too. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great Kermit's one. actually very uh, eloquent. I do like Kermit. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Nice Muppet. He's a good frog. All right, good frog. Unlike so, all for more government stimulus, uh, you know, I, uh, hold on there, Jason. What about the government debt? You know, I, I certainly am not a fan of the idea of debt because I've been cultured to believe that, like, you know, balanced budgets and fiscal responsibility is good. Um, the, the, we don't have a ton of time to get into this, but there's not a lot. There's not a lot convincing me that like we that our federal government really needs to care about debt because um, money it doesn't actually exist. By the way, it's invented, and we all agree that it exists by just pretending that it does. So when this I, is the, where the origin of the phrase "money is time" comes from, right? They're both invented. They don't actually exist, right? And so when I like want to trade you this thing I made, like, you know, I, I cut down a tree in my backyard and then I uh, drove some nails through it that someone else smelted down some metal to make. And then I, I like give you this wooden chair I made and you give me a 20, uh, a piece of paper, a green piece of paper back that has a, a 20 on it, $20. Um, you know, we, we invent that relationship of exchange. <clears throat> that somehow this chair that I made through my actual labor is equal to this green piece of paper with a 20 on it. 
And, uh, but that, that's, that's even too, too generous because most money nowadays doesn't actually exist. Most money, the vast majority of money is not even printed nowadays. The vast majority of money is just on a computer somewhere that is a number on a spreadsheet. And yeah. so, you know, Bitcoin. Right. Well, not even Bitcoin, right? Yeah. I mean, it's totally like Bitcoin, but not even. So, you know, new money is being created and destroyed all the time because, you know, banks and spreadsheets just like add zeros to the end of things. And obviously it's more complicated than what I'm saying, but that's essentially what it is. You know, um, money is imagined. You know, what's not imagined people having like healthcare or roof over their head or whatever. So, you know, I'll do whatever we got to do to get people to meet their material needs. I'm all for that. Yeah, you can tell yourself that like the food is imagined and try to live like uh, Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner wherein his uh, computer wife puts that holographic meatloaf over his grimy whatever he was eating. But Right. One last, <laughs> one last thing that I want to get to about this um, proposed Biden stimulus is that uh, he's also calling for a public health jobs program to fund 100,000 people to do vital public health work and to rebuild America's public health infrastructure. How much money? Um, I don't have a specific dollar amount to that, but he, he, oh. he wants to do that. And um, we talked on the show last week about how the Democrats are going to have control of the presidency and the narrowest of majorities in Congress. And I was saying, you know, what would be great is if we took a bold you know, fight to climate change by starting like a green energy jobs program and incentivizing job creation and, and transferring people from the fossil fuel industries into the green energy sector, which is very lucrative. Uh, you know, I'm all for government job training programs of this sort, because anything that can help people to get employed and actually, you know, through their employment, do good things like make renewable energy or do contact tracing or, or, you know, expand our public health is a good thing. And I think that's what the government is, is partly here to do. So I'm, I'm glad to hear something something like that as well. Let's pivot now, though, to our last topic of discussion for evidence of design on 100.9 FM WXAR in Rochester. This is episode 127 of evidence of design. Matt, we have been on air for the entirety of the Trump presidency, I think. Like, we've never had an episode of evidence of design where Trump wasn't president. Next yeah, week... March 2017. Yeah. Next week, episode 128, we got to reinvent ourselves because all of our problems will be gone, I think. Right. Is that how that works? And we'll just. We won't have a reason to be around anymore. <laughs> right. We'll, um, we'll have just to return to the ocean. We should <laughs> crawl back from whence we came. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about um, the sacred manifestations in our lives. You know, we could talk about religion like we talked started out with. Well, I'd have to have sacred manifestations in my life to <laughs> talk about that. You have a week to get in touch with something <laughs> sacred, Matt. <laughs> Make it happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock myself in my room. <laughs> Already what we do. <laughs> yeah, what? you know. You don't have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let's turn to our last subject on evidence of design here. 100.9 FM WXIR. California, in California, the most populous state in the nation is a grocery chain called Albertsons. I had never heard of anything but Wegmans, man. That's how much yeah. this corporate. Well, I, don't, I think they, they're not just in California either. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they're, they're a large multi-billion dollar chain. Uh, they've announced that they're going to lay off some of their workers and replace them, their drivers, and replace yeah. them with gig Who workers. Who are unionized? 
Yeah, tell us about this, Matt. What's going on? Well, essentially, so you were right where we talked back in 2019, we talked about how California, I can't remember the name of the law, but they had passed a law that would essentially make it impossible for um, companies like Uber and Lyft to continue to classify their drivers as gig workers or as um, contract workers. So what what these companies would do will do oftentimes is that the the only employees they have are the people who work on the software that uh, makes their apps that drivers use in order to uh, pick up people and passengers use patrons use in order to pay drivers in the company um, and call the drivers uh, by by classifying their drivers as contract workers. These companies like Uber, Lyft, and other and other um, uh, companies that we ex- we associate with the gig economy, like DoorDash, they are able to get out of paying them, treating them with the same sort of uh, rights afforded to employees. Like they don't have to give them pay time off or other benefits, uh, health insurance, stuff like that. California passed a bill back in 2019, I believe, towards the end of the year that basically said you can't do that anymore. This past election cycle, because of California's, I don't remember what this is called. Maybe you can help me, Jason. They, they, their populace can actually vote on uh, laws. A referendum? Or we have a mm. similar thing, a ballot initiative, a ballot? Uh... Yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, there was a ballot there was a, a, a chance to vote on a, a law called Proposition 22. And Proposition 22 was Uber's effort and essentially to um, circumvent the law that California had passed last year and to continue to classify its drivers as contract workers. And it passed. And part of the reason why it passed is because uh, companies like Uber and Lyft contributed to an ad campaign worth over $200 million, <laughs> while the opposition... Uh, was only able to raise about ten million dollars. So you know that's a. There's no reason why we need to worry about big business, big business being involved in politics. And uh, Citizens United is one of the greatest accomplishments of our civilization. And uh, everybody can just go about their lives, not worry about this anymore. Uh, <laughs> we can both figure out how to fly to the moon and figure out how corporations can donate as much as they want. That's a, a significant achievement in human history. I don't know why anybody's worried about this. Really, like it's not, not a big deal. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so, uh, Albertson's like this, this grocery chain that Jason and I just found out about last week that was like, Hmm, I bet we could hire all those contract workers that are already working for DoorDash and just pay them instead of our unionized drivers <laughs> <laughs> way less money. Matt, you're you're being unfair here because uh, this, you know, it's true. It's true. This was covered in. I'm a few taking different... way too uh, uh, joyful a tone for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being way too jovial about it. <laughs> <laughs> this was covered in a few different outlets, Washington Post among others. In the Washington Post, that they quote a uh, statement from uh, from Albertsons, and 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 they say, quote. Uh, This decision will allow us to compete in the growing home care delivery market more effectively. Since the COVID-19 outbreak, our e-commerce business has risen to new heights and has become more strategically important to Albertson's companies. 
So Matt, I, I think what you're failing to see here is that this decision by Albertsons is something that is beneficial to them. And you're not acknowledging the fact that this is helpful to one side of the party. What do you have to say yeah. about that? I mean, I just, I just wonder, like, are, are there, are there uh, laid off unionized drivers? Are they going to still shop at Albertsons? Like, hmm, or is like the, is that, is that, was that like, like some misplaced loyalty on their part? Or, you know, who's going to take care of them? Oh, okay. I see. So uh, while, while this decision by Albertsons to lay off some of their sort of unionized or full-time long-term employees and replace them with uh, gig economy workers who don't get uh, any benefits and tend to make a lower wage while this decision would benefit Albertsons to allow them to quote, uh, be it's strategically important. Um, it, it might not be beneficial to the human beings who are doing the labor in the corporation, uh, to, you know, make their ends meet and, and to have benefits like healthcare and whatnot. It doesn't, you know, I just, you know, eventually like people aren't going to be able to afford food and like what then? What's going to be the strategy there? Right. There was another. Uh, there, there was another statement from. Oh golly, I'm trying to find it here. Oh yeah, this is really great. So, um, in the same Washington Post article that covers that covers this, it just you know it's Googleable, but it's called Albertsons is laying off employees and replacing them with gig workers as app platforms rise. That's uh, from the Washington Post, Eli Rosenberg, January sixth, twenty. 21. There's a statement here in this article from from DoorDash that says, um, you know, okay, so DoorDash employees, they don't make money on the time that workers spend between deliveries. So, you know, when workers are actually making deliveries itself, they're they're on the clock. But, you know, the time that they're they're spending between deliveries, so that could be just, you know, uh, waiting to load up your next call or, you know, driving uh, from your one delivery back to the store or something, then they're probably uh, they're not going to be on the clock for that. And they're not getting paid, even though normal employees would get paid for that time. Uh, DoorDash employees would not. So, OK, even though they're not getting paid for time between deliveries, <clears throat> The DoorDash uh, spokesperson says that the workers make an average of $22 an hour when you don't count in that downtime that they don't get paid for. But the kicker is this, is that the, the DoorDash employee also says drivers are eligible for some health insurance subsidies through the Affordable Care Act when they work $15, 15 hours or more a week. <laughs> so the defense of DoorDash when they're called out to say, you know, these gig economy workers don't get health care when they're called when they're counted as contractors and you're saving money by not giving them uh you know a, a right that in american society has been fought for uh which is health care in exchange for labor which i i say is a, a really stupid bargain to begin with um health should be inherently a human right not one you just get for labor through some through some labor as we see now um the doordash spokesperson says well you know uh they can always go through the affordable care act Right. That thing that Republicans spent 10 years trying to um, so-called repeal and replace. And then they gave up on actually replacing it and they just wanted to repeal it because they they're a morally and intellectually bankrupt party who didn't have anything better to replace it with at all. Uh, and so this this multi-billion dollar company, uh, DoorDash, says, well, you know, we're going to pass the buck and turn it on to the government to fix this problem. And, and don't don't ask about us. No, yeah, it makes sense. 
Uh, just, not not paying people while they're not technically working. That's efficiency, Jason. Right. And also, you know, it's not up to us to get health care. Have them go through this thing. That, that Think about of- how much money that they're saving for themselves <laughs> that they're right. not being taxed for or putting back into the system in any way to benefit society. Right. I mean, they're, they're going to be fine. It's really quite remarkable. I mean, so, you know, here's the thing. I, I talk to people about this all the time. It, it, it's easy to be flip about this. Um, I, I truly believe that there is a way for human beings to still be, for, for humans to be incentivized to work. So number one, I believe that there's a way for humans to be incentivized to work. Number two, I believe there is a way for companies to still be profitable. Number three, I still believe there is a way for individuals to not go bankrupt out of, you know, number four, the government having strong social safety net systems that are funded through, uh, you know, public finance like taxation. I am, I, I fully believe that we can have higher taxes and stronger government funded, um, you know, social safety net systems through higher government spending while at the same time, individuals are still incentivized and proud of and motivated to work that companies are still able to be profitable and three that individuals will not go bankrupt from this taxation that the government might have to do to fund social safety net systems i fundamentally believe in all of those things i just said and i think the problem when you talk to a lot of people about this stuff is that they simply see that like you know a company like doordash or a company like albertsons is simply doing what they're trying to do because they have a right to do it as a company, which is simply be as profitable as possible. And they worked hard to be profitable and they worked hard to build the infrastructure and the service platforms and systems that they have. And therefore they, they own a right to the money that they make. Um, I, I don't believe in that. I think that human beings have a right to things like healthcare Universal, universal basic income in a capitalist society and housing more so than a companies have a right to be profitable. And uh, I think that is where like the major disagreement can be distilled down to and perhaps modern politics in many ways. It's just like, do you think humans are worth more than companies? You know, who, who is, who inherently deserves uh, more protections? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't even think that we need, need to even try to take the moral high ground anymore because we've always had that. And just the, the, the only thing that I can say is that, you know, you will be left behind. You're not these people. You're if if you're listening to this, if you're making this like we are, we are the people who drive the cars. We're the people who uh, work in schools. We're the people who uh, work in libraries. You know, we're the people who get left behind when uh, companies figure out a way to uh, make us unnecessary. And the, the the whole talking point that you know, if you if you give people a universal basic income, if you give them uh, free health care, if you give them access to the basic needs to live, no matter what their economic, or no matter what their employment situation is, and they just won't work anymore is total bollocks because people need purpose and meaning in their lives in order to be happy. And so 
if you give them the ability to survive and uh, not have to worry about losing things like a home or the ability to feed themselves, I think you'll find that most of them will still want to work. They'll just find something that is worth their time that they enjoy and uh, can contribute to a, a, a happier, healthier society. Absolutely, Matt. You know, there people people are doctors because they choose to do that and they find value in it. You know, people are teachers because they choose to do that and they find value in it. Uh, people people do things because they want to do it and be stretched. You know, everyone thinks that oh man, if I just if I just didn't have to go to work, I would just like sit home and watch Netflix. I mean, most people have been doing that for a year. <laughs> How is that going? It sucks. You know, it sucks, right? Like, no one wants to do that. You know, it's like a kid who wants to stay home from school one day so you can just play Xbox. You do it for five hours, like this is great, and then and then you're like, man, this is awful. You know, <laughs> it's like you feel like a slug because because the human brain and society isn't engineered to just like sit on a couch, stare at a screen, and eat potato chips. We want to connect with other people. We want to push ourselves to make our societies better, and so labor is inherently enjoyable for human beings right? As long as we're given the capacity to be creative and expressive and have it done in a way that is not um, exploitative for us, that we're being forced to labor to make ends meet and being forced to labor in dead-end jobs, you know? It's not just that we want jobs. It's that we want to have productive, meaningful labor while also being able to make our ends meet. And there's a way for us to do that as a society. Hey folks, uh, we got to call it here though. You can always find our past episodes on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're called Evidence of Design. You'll find us on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts at that name. You can also communicate with us via email at radioeod at gmail.com. That stands for Radio Evidence of Design. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well at Radio EOD. Communicate with us throughout the week. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know if you have a uh, subject for an upcoming show that covers what we cover, critiquing income and wealth inequality, supporting democratic values, and social justice. Something I should point out is that our uh, normal other co-host, Mary Lawrence, has been doing some work around media literacy. She's done a lot of work in that field, and she actually just hosted a media literacy workshop in collaboration with Reclaim the Narrative, WXIR's grassroots news show, and that's posted on our YouTube channel and also a WXIR, uh, WXIR's platforms as well. So you can find that out, learn more about media literacy and how you cannot fall prey to the vast amounts of disinformation and misinformation that are out there. Speaking of which, if you don't know the difference between disinformation and misinformation might be a good uh, workshop to check out as well. Um, what else? Up next is the Esquire Hour. They always put on great shows and we'll be back next Saturday, 100.9 FM WXIR. Until then, I was your host, Jason Taylor. Joined by my good friend and co-host, Matt Treadwell. Look, Tarogar. Matt, who's the music intro and outro provided by? Me. Good stuff. Sestrugi, until next time, be well, be safe, take care, and bye-bye.